The personal is always political and the political is always personal. You're tuned in to Poppin' Policies with R. Jordan Davis. What's up, y'all? Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of Poppin' Policies with your host, R. Jordan Davis. Today, you are in for a treat. I have invited four of my college friends who are politicals in their own right to discuss race in America and police brutality more specifically. Keep it locked right here for our discussion. I have some amazing friends joining me in the Situation Room today to talk about race in America, more specifically police brutality, in light of all of the uh, murders that are going on in this nation and our nation's response to those murders um, in form of protest. So I'll start off the conversation with, when was your first time experiencing racism uh, in your lifetime? When was your first time experiencing racism um, overtly? I guess I can start. Um, my name is Jasmine, and I'm a 2020 graduate of Spelman College. The first time I experienced racism um, was probably when I was either four or five years old. Me and my father were going on our way. My family was going to Disney World, and we were driving, and my parents realized I didn't have sunglasses. Um, so me and my dad, we went into a gas station, just perused the sunglass aisle, and you know, I didn't find anyone that I like, and we were just like, oh, we'll just get some down in Disney World. So we get back in our car, and we start driving away, and a police, we notice a police officer, or my dad noticed a police officer is right behind us. Um, he stops us over, and he pulls up to the car, he goes to my dad, he says, I know you stole stuff out of the gas station. And we were just, my dad was just like, no, I didn't. We were just looking at the sunglasses. He was like, you stole the sunglasses on top of your head, sir. And he was like, no, I've had these. I was looking for sunglasses for my daughter. And he said, sir, get out of the car. I'm going to arrest you. I'm going to arrest you. I'm in the back, you know, crying, just looking at my father trying, about to get arrested. And I didn't know what was going on. And it was because, and I don't know what happened. My dad kind of diffused the situation. He didn't get arrested, but we found out the store owner had called the police on my father wow. um, because he thought he robbed the store. Um, and so that was the first time in a series of just ongoing events um, in my life that I saw like racism firsthand. And I know that police brutality is real because I like my, my dad experienced it when I was four years old. And just seeing the news of George Floyd and all those other murders, um, you know, it's real. Um, and it's frightening and it's scary because that can happen any time of the day, anywhere to any black person. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what happened to me. Yeah, thanks for sharing your experience um, and being so vulnerable. Um, I think it's so disheartening that being Black in America, you experience such traumatic um, situations so early on in life and how that really just shapes your perspective. Uh, yeah, I'll share, Jordan. Um, I'm John. John Bowers, a recent Morehouse College 2020 graduate. Um, so 
like Jasmine was saying, uh, going, I feel like in the South, you know, you're talking about overt, overt racism. In Texas, I mean, apparently, I mean, we experienced it really early on. Um, but I can talk about me specifically. Um, my first time experiencing like police, police prejudice, I would say, was definitely my, um, trying to remember exactly, I think my junior year in high school. Um, I was out late, you know, basically the call to the police station was that somebody was driving a Jeep, uh, TPing houses um, in the area. Meanwhile, so I'm outside playing dodgeball with some friends. Um, we're going to eat, you know, like late night stuff we do in college anyway, hanging out, going to eat. Um, and because I was driving a Jeep at the time, uh, he pulled me over. Um, and the officer keeps saying, like, I need to search your car, search your car. So he gets me out, puts me on the curb. Um, and the only thing that saved me, the only thing that saved me, which was God, but also the fact that my car didn't, miss the, didn't match the explicit um, definition of the car that was in question. So he said the car in question was a Jeep Cherokee. And mine was a Jeep commander, which was on the card, which got me off. But before that, he was saying that, yes, like we have, a, we have, we have a warrant to search your car, all this kind of stuff, like just stuff that makes no sense. You know, if you have no, if you know, you had no prior knowledge, having done anything wrong, um, pulled me over. Um, and I was sitting on the curb for about, for like about an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, so that's really, that was really my first experience with it, had other experiences with it in Atlanta, but that's my first, uh, that was my first scene of it personally happening to me from the police. Yeah. And so in light of the murder of George Floyd, there have been a number of uh, legislation being pushed out. One of that legislation um, is from a member of Congress and is talking about um, eliminating qualified immunity. So qualified immunity is um, a, a piece in United States federal law um, that kind of gives government officials a pass if they're being sued um, for um, actions um, in their official capacity. Um, so like police officers usually will be given um, qualified immunity. Um, and that's mostly how police officers are usually acquitted um, for their actions while in their duty. And so uh, there's a piece of legislation coming out of Congress um, that um, actually, a member of Congress is sponsoring that will um, kind of strip away qualified immunity for people in their official roles um, if they've done mal uh, malpractice or um, have acted in bad faith in their official role. How do you guys feel about that? Have you been uh, following that that legislation? Um, what do you feel about that? And what legislation would you like to see in uh, our legislation system, our legislative system, our um, congressmen, our state senators, state representatives, things of that nature, pushing out to kind of rectify this issue? Or do you believe that it cannot be rectified within a legislative body, but it's going to have to take another means? And if so, what is that means that we'll have to take? Thank you for um, enlightening us on the new legislation being passed. And my personal, oh, my name's Heaven Fisher. Um, I just graduated from college. Um, in my opinion, I just think we need to throw the whole system away. Um, when I say throw it away, we need to rewrite it, um, revamp it, and have more conversations regarding how oppressive, discriminative these um, constitution penal codes are to people of color and black people. And you know, it's great that we're seeing this being ignited in our country on the local, state, and federal level, but this should have happened centuries ago. And the fact that we're just now having this conversation really just lays the foundation and sheds a light on how this country was founded on racism and oppression and discrimination.
Yeah, I agree. Even when you look at just the formation of the police force, you know, right after slavery, you have your first sightings of police forces um, criminalizing Black people in an effort to keep them enslaved. And so I definitely agree with you. Um, I know there have been talks about, you know, defunding the police. Um, and I know, Kristen, you've been out there on the front lines um, fighting and protesting, and we thank you. Um, do you see any any change coming from those protests? What would you say for people who feel like protests aren't really doing anything, um, they're just causing the nuance and they're they're causing a hindrance to everyday life? What would you have to say to those people? Um, thank you, Jordan. I'm glad you um, brought that up. I was actually just going to mention the sort of rallying call for the police to be defunded. Um, and a lot of well, in a number of large cities like LA and New York, um, even Atlanta, the police have these outrageous budgets. Um, and these like budgets um, are much larger compared to things uh, like funding healthcare, funding infrastructure, funding public education. Um, and being on the front lines, I really just saw, um, you know, what that funding is going toward to, you know, to sort of stomp out the protests, to sort of stomp out our First Amendment rights to peacefully assemble. Um, I know on Monday night, uh, Atlanta had the um, 9 p.m. curfew, but around 8.30, they started to, you know, hit us with tear gas and rubber bullets. Um, it's actually really scary being out there just to see how militarized the, um, the state is, to see how militarized the police is in general. Um, I think it's a, a gross misuse of, of funds. And to the people who think that, you know, it's all for nothing, I, um, I always go back to this point that uh, I, I want to say on the second day of the Minneapolis um, riots, um, the DA came out and said there wasn't enough evidence to, um, you know, to charge Derek Chauvin. But on the third day, after, you know, the night had gone on from the second day, you know, there's a charge. Um, it was the third degree murder charge, the manslaughter charge. And now I think a lot of police um, departments, a lot of uh, mayors are considering, you know, bringing down some of the money that's being put into these police forces. So the protesting is definitely working, um, is definitely calling a lot of attention to things. The Black Lives Matter movement, you know, back in 2016, look completely different than it does today. You see big businesses are finally speaking out, are finally donating large sums of money to organizations that are pushing for, um, you know, the equity, the liberation, the abolition uh, for Black people. I think I agree with having every, every statement, obviously, and but Kristen's explicitly being that, you know, she's seeing all these militarized police forces, but one of, like, one person wearing all their, all their police gear, right, can fund 55 healthcare workers, which is really an issue that we still have going on as well. Like COVID-19, during in the middle of a pandemic, we're having a whole protest for Black Lives, where our community is the most sick from the pandemic, um, which is, you know, a, two, a two-edged sword because we're getting hit from both sides. So I feel like that is another reason why the funding of the police is so utterly wild to me, because it's like there's so many people that need the money that could be doing way better things than antagonizing peaceful protesters and inciting violence um, when we have people that are sick that need to you know figure out how we can cure a, a pandemic as well um, with civil rights right behind it. Um, I think that's like an amazing point you just brought up and I think just to bring it back to a historical context that a lot of Americans fail to realize is that the police department was originally 
created and sourced from racism. They were the fire squad for white people and also they were the slave catchers. And so for us to be now in 2020 and we have some Americans saying, hey, like, you know, Blue Lives Matter and they're here to protect and serve the community. How can we, how can they protect and serve the community when the foundation and the origin of this organization was to assert dominance and fear? And now corrupt, we know we're dealing with a pandemic, like Trey said, that like, you know, we're hitting with a double, we're hitting on both sides. And like, you know, we all know that this um, entity, this corona is caused, is disproportionately affecting people of color and black people. And then at the same time, we're trying to fight for our existence and our right for equality and equity. Yes, I agree with um, Heaven and John. Um, it was actually very fascinating to me to see that the city of Atlanta was more prepared to um, enforce a curfew for protesters than it was for, um, you know, COVID-19. And in fact, I think a lot of the exceptions made recently for the curfew was that, you know, patrons of um, businesses are allowed to be out. It's really just, you can't be out protesting, essentially. And that's where, you know, you get arrested and you'll be detained. And it's just an amazing attack on um, the First Amendment right of citizens everywhere. And, you know, there should be more attention called to it. I know there's a lot of propaganda going around where the officers are, you know, talking about their Black sons or they're dancing or they're, you know, shaking hands. But, you know, none of it means anything to me because I saw the same officers who will have those conversations start to put down their masks because they're getting ready to spray you with the tear gas or they're getting ready to shoot you with a rubber bullet. So, you know, it's just uh, really amazing to me to see all the propaganda that's been, been going on, actually. I'm so glad you all brought up the, you know, COVID-19 as well as, you know, just the militarization as a whole of the police force. Um, I, I heard that Earlier this week, I, I believe someone actually died due to um, the tear gas being forced, um, being sprayed on them. They had respiratory issues and they ended up dying. And so even just in the midst of people fighting for Black existence, like police are still running rampant, still igniting and causing harm um, to those who, quote unquote, um, they're called to protect and serve, which is uh, very interesting. I kind of want to shift gears and talk about um, respectability politics and performative behavior during times uh, like these. Um, I know that this causes for a lot of debate, um, but these conversations are definitely necessary. And so what can we do as educated individuals um, who graduated from Morehouse and Spelman, you know, the top, two of the top HBCUs in the nation, um, in an effort to use our education and our knowledge for good while not being performative? That's such a great question. I'm sure Kristen, and Kristen has a lot to say and everyone else, but I just think one of the main things we learned at Spoken and Morehouse was like, you know, if you don't know something, you don't know how to do it, ask for help. But I feel as though as a result of this pandemic and this new civil rights movement, Everybody wants to be the Martin Luther King and the Malcolm X and Coretta Scott, but it's like, you do not have the foundation to do so. And so then it becomes of, hey, you're not doing it right. Or like, you know, this is performative and it's not being authentic, but what we need to realize we are all in this together. 
and we need to all rally together and help one another, not attack one another. Cause that's what we're seeing on social media, on the front line, Instagram. And it's just, it's bigger than us. And we need to realize that and see the vision. I agree with you, Heaven, but I do still feel like some people are in this for the wrong reasons. I think I saw a video of a protest on Twitter and, you know, some white protesters were using it as a photo op. And for me, that just infuriates me. Like, this is our lives, you know? Um, these people are dying. This has been going on for centuries, for forever. And now, because people are so outraged that they're taken to the streets, you want to come in and um, say Black Lives Matter. Where were you when Trayvon Martin was killed? Like, for me, it's just... I know a lot of people have good intentions, but I feel like some people are performing for Instagram. And my question is, where do we draw that line where we, where we see someone's good intentions? Like, how can you see that in someone when all you see is them posting on Instagram? I feel like uh, expounding on Jasmine's point, you know, her just talking about people posting on Instagram. I feel like that instance, you know, you have to feel like, are they just posting on Blackout Tuesday was my whole thing. It's like, okay, are you just posting or are you going to keep posting, you know, keep encouraging this conversation? It's kind of how like I judge that because I mean, I can even think back to, I think it was Kendall Jenner. She photoshopped a, a Black Lives Matter sign into one of her posts that you could see clearly in the shadow. She wasn't holding anything. Um, so I feel like, yeah, like you have those performative things, but I mean, even from an economic standpoint, you know, you have all these businesses, you realizing that the black dollar in our community is the one that spent the most, generates the most money, um, even though we don't hold it in our own community as much. So you out, there are some major companies like Kristen was touching on earlier that are now donating, but some are being very performative to keep their dollars to keep their companies going. So I feel like that's another thing that we have to be cognizant of um, because quite frankly, if the Black Lives Matter movement having all these big corporations, we should have, a different outlook like yes it looks completely different from four years ago um but i feel like there should be definitely some more funding put into it if everybody is putting their money where their mouth is per se um because i have seen some outrageous statements from companies um especially on tuesday like for example the san francisco 49ers who scorned colin kaepernick for protesting but now want to say black lives matter um and i believe that that is just a narrative that's going all around the country uh they just want to keep good graces with the black community because they realize how substantial and how imperative we are to their business. You all make really great points. I would like to say that um, as far as respectability, I've been very disappointed with, um, you know, the way some people have used this moment to sort of um, push their respectability politics, sort of like, I know, you know, this week in Atlanta, there was a protest and it was, everyone, you know, come dressed in your Sunday best, come wear your suits, wear your uh, dresses, and let's show them a different side. Or let's wear our HBCU paraphernalia because that's just gonna make us different. And um, it's really disheartening to me because, you know, Christopher Cooper, when he was in Central Park with Amy Cooper and she was weaponizing her whiteness and threatening to call the police on him, he was a Harvard grad. You know, but that didn't stop her from weaponizing her whiteness. That didn't right. um, stop him from being profiled. And, you know, no matter how many suits people put on, no matter if you're wearing your, your Spelman shirt, your Morehouse shirt, that's not going to stop anyone, any white cop or, you know, someone profiling you because they're not going to give 
you know, they're not going to care. Um, so it's not going to uh, matter. So I have been really disappointed at the way people have used this moment to sort of push respectability nonsense when, when you get pulled over, you know, you can't, I went to Morehouse my way out of this. You can't, I went to Spelman my way out of this. Like, um, and it's just so, so disheartening and so disappointing to sort of see people try to create some sort of division as if there's one type of black person that is getting pulled over. There's one type of black person who is, you know, getting uh, killed and, you know, put on a hashtag when the reality is it could honestly be any of us at any given moment, you know? So, um, and I, that's something I wish more people would um, understand. And, you know, when it is scary being out there when you're literally pushing curfew and then you have to start running for your life at a moment's notice, um, trying to make sure that you can keep up with your friend who's maybe running a little bit faster than you. And then to see people come out there and just want to put up a sign and take a picture and be like, you know, I think that's it for the day. Or, you know, <laughs> who want to sort of have press and um, get on a microphone so they can have their, you know, their 15 minutes of fame for the gram or for Twitter, it's just like, who even are you? Like, this is all of us or none of us. Like, this isn't about just one person. This isn't the time for you to romanticize martyrdom. martyrdom. This isn't the time for you to romanticize, you know, being the next MLK or being the next Malcolm X. We don't have time for that. Like, our lives are on the line today. It's time for us to get this moving today. So if you're not with the movement, you're in our way, and I need all those people to get out of the way. I think that's so important you brought up Kristen. Um, we need to realize that social media is an outlet. It can be a tool, it can also be detrimental. Um, I'm sh I think I read it correctly that like there's legislation being pulled um, from Trump to like censor um, social media accounts like Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And now there's like false fact checking, which I think is playing a really monumental role on um, access to information. But we need to stop, idol and I say this because like, the age of celebrities is dead. Like, we're, they're not idols anymore. Because at the end of the day, we're all in quarantine. We're all experiencing this pandemic. And we also need to realize as Black people, our Blackness enters the room before our resume, our degree, our class level, our sexuality. And all, they, all people see is our Blackness. So it's really frustrating seeing everyone, especially Black people, being like, you know, he was a Harvard grad. He was a Morehouse alum. Oh, he went to Tuskegee. Nobody cares about that when a gun's to your face and you're being tased. They see you're black. Right. And we have to deconstruct these class levels um, and acknowledge our race. Because it doesn't matter how much money we make, who we know, where we live, what car we drive, we are still black. And if you're a person that's upper middle class, elite, black, and you look down at people that are below you financially, that's a problem. Because at the end of the day, we are all black. And I think a lot of us forget that at times based off of how we live and the certain privileges we have. Those are great points. I'm so glad you all brought those different points up. And I'm so glad that you all were able to discuss and expound upon those because I think that's super important, especially in this day and age. I know Jasmine brought up um, white people and their allyship and a number of others, Kristen and Heaven and all of you all. Um, have you all been able or had conversations with white associates or white counterparts during this time? And if so, how has that gone? How, what have those conversations looked like? 
Um, I know they can, that it can be very mentally draining and mentally taxing, especially during these times, but if you would care to share, um, you're welcome to do so at this time. Um, I think more than anything, I've had my white friends, white allies, white cohorts reach out to me and been like, hey, how are you? How are you doing? Um, I hear you. I see you. I value you. And it's like, I appreciate it. But once again, I feel like this is going back to what Jasmine said. And you said that like it's performative. Um, no one's asking, hey, what funds can I give money to for bails? Or, you know, like, how are you doing emotionally? Not the surface level. How are you? You know, it's, it's like my white friends, white cohorts are doing the surface level connection, but they're not putting their money where their mouth is. And this is not me equating everything to a monetary thing, but there's more we can contribute or they can contribute other than money and using your social media platform. And like, you know, I posted on my social media platform, like, what is your role? Not only in society, but in this movement. Are you the experimenter? Are you the detractor? Are you the connector? Like, what is your role and what are you doing to implement that consistently? And I think a lot of people, not just white people need to realize, what is your role right now? I definitely agree with you, Heaven. Um, a lot of my, you know, white friends, white coworkers, white colleagues have reached out to me. But what I want to see is how you are going to do this, do this anti-racism work in the future. I want to see how you will take your privilege and continuously try to break down the, the systematic racism in the future. Like, what is your plan of action? Um, how are you educating yourself? Yes, thank you for checking up on me emotionally. But again, like Heaven was saying, what are you doing to help this movement? What are you doing to ensure that this movement will continue on into the future? Um, that's what I want to see when people reach out to me. What is your plan of action? What are you going to do to make sure that this never happens again and that we fix this systemic issue? And to Jasmine's point, like a lot of people think just because by going on Netflix and watching The Help or um, The 13th Amendment or when they see us, you're educated. That ain't it. <laughs> that's not exactly. it. But also like, why, why do I as a black person got to educate you on Angela Davis and all these other people when well, you should be doing this stuff yourself. And I say that because I'm all for being a proponent for educating, but black people are tired of feeding you information that I'm experiencing. Like you can't use your little bit of privilege to do some work. I mean, we built this country. You can't go to a library and use Google. Google's free. It is free. Stop being lazy. To, heaven, to heaven's point, like when they come and check up on me and they're not like explicitly talking about new stuff or have seen, I, I don't see education in them. I don't talk to them. I simply protect my peace because I know like it's a mentally draining conversation. Um, but I will say like I got, I can count on my hand with one white friend, one white ally that actually knows what he's talking about, lives down the street. Um, he went to Texas, Texas Christian University, good guy. But at the same time, like there even some, he and he, the best thing about him, is he understands his he understands his limitations but also accepts his privilege um and he really speaks out about that like he doesn't sit on the side and not say anything um it just so happens his mom is the mayor of my little small town by dallas but no like jordan to answer your question like i am not talking to them if all they want to say is oh i see i see what's going on if you ever need anything let me know like i needed you a long time ago you see what i'm saying um so like i'm not talking to them um if they want to come with just the oh yeah it's performative like yeah trey like i know what you're going through no you don't first of all 
Um, but thank you for saying hi and acknowledging that there's actually something going on. But like, that's just where the conversation ends for me. Cause I'm not about to, I don't want to entertain any ignorance at all at this time in my life with white allies. I think for me, it's just been so eye opening to see how silent people have been that I have considered associates. Like just the silence has just, it's been deafening because <laughs> you, you're up in arms, you're talking, you're posting any other time. And then now that, you know, stuff really is, is going on and it's affecting my life and my personhood, you're, you're nowhere to be found. So it's just been, it's been really eye-opening um, to see certain people's true characteristics um, during this time. And Jordan, I mean, you said it right there, eye-opening, because I mean, the other thing, I mean, this has nothing to do with like the main point of the conversation, but everybody's like 2020 is going to be a perfect year. But in fact, it is a perfect year. It's showing you like who isn't really on your side. You see what I'm saying? Like you said, it's eye opening. And that's literally what 2020 vision is all about. Like understanding, because I've had several black counterparts that went to high school with me um, that, you know, were more of like the token black person. Uh, and they were always around white people playing baseball and things like that. And now they're saying like, oh, my God, like I really am seeing how X, Y, and Z John Doe is really not for me. Um, which is, which is beautiful to see, but it's just like, okay, like we've been, I've known this for years, but I'm happy that you finally got up. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention, um, the amount of Black people who have been applauding their allies for, you know, not being racist or posting a Black screen. And I just can't even begin to understand the logic behind applauding fish for swimming. You know, like, your, your white friends shouldn't be racist. And um, the fact that they're not is just like the bare minimum, like the bar is on the floor bare minimum. So they don't deserve an entire Facebook post about it or an Instagram paragraph. Um, and to the allies who do show up and, um, you know, they donate or they're, you know, they're out there with us, good. Um, I'm not sure like what the additional, you know, applause is for um, because using your privilege to, you know, help my people um, is really the bare minimum for me. I don't know why, you know, there are some people who feel like it is the most amazing thing in the world. Um, so that's just how I feel. Well, I don't know if you all want to give any closing remarks before we wrap this up. But if you want to go ahead and then uh, give your socials so people can find you and keep up with the work that you're doing. Yeah. Um, so heavenly because I'm so heavenly, right? With four O's on Instagram and Twitter. Um, yeah, nobody uses Snapchat. And then my LinkedIn, Heaven Fisher. Um, let's keep it going, keep the energy flowing. Um, my socials, um, it's flipped. So Instagram, I think. It's Jasmine underscore McClam, just my name, and then Twitter, um, McClam underscore Jasmine, and then LinkedIn is just my name. But yeah, we need to keep this movement alive. We need to keep it growing, keep it pushing, um, because we do need to. We need. We do need to have change, and we can't let this movement stop. This is Kristen again. My Instagram and Twitter is the underscore khw. Um, the final things that I will say is, um, you know, like what Jasmine said, to keep the movement going, to keep the energy high um, for everyone to, 
take some time to their cells so that they don't burn out too quickly um, because this will be a marathon and not a sprint. Um, and for everyone to get connected with organizers in their community who have already been doing the work and find a way that they can amplify it and get tapped in and get involved, um, tapped in the right way. Um, and just to not get complacent and to not think that voting um, in November is the only thing that you can do because there are other things um, that we can do between now and then and even after then. Um, and then lastly, uh, my socials, my Twitter is T underscore bow, B-O-W 20. And then my Instagram is T dot bow, B-O-W 20. Um, and my LinkedIn is John Bowers, uh, my government name. But what I would say is, I'm, I would say I'm specifically talking to the white allies. Don't sit around and watch your black friends, quote unquote, if they are your friends that you always claim that they are, do everything and be in the streets without them. But do also donate, sign petitions, like don't be ignorant to what's going on. Um, as well as like what Heaven was saying earlier, if you're black and you look down on other black people, that is a problem. Because what we don't need is separatism. We don't need to be on two different sides of the one issue that we're fighting for, which is our existence. Um, and then at the end of the day, um, make sure you are continuing to be healthy, um, following up what Kristen said, don't overstress yourself because yes, this is going on a week of full processing, doing all that kind of stuff, but it, it can drain you and it will burn you out. Um, so take care of yourself and protect your peace. Thank you to Jasmine, Heaven, Kristen, and Trey for joining me in the Situation Room today. Our conversation was much needed and it was such a powerful discussion. I cannot wait to see all of the things that you accomplish in the near future. And I know that you will be a part of the change that this country sees. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating, subscribe, share so that we can get the word out about Poppin' Policies. Also, please follow the podcast on Instagram at Poppin' Policies Podcast for more information and updates about all things Poppin' Policies. If you are following the podcast on Instagram, there should have been a big announcement that came across your newsfeed. We are launching our Poppin' Policies Podcast merch store. It is officially open. It's available now. So after listening to this episode, I need you to go to our Instagram bio, click the link in the bio. There should be a tab that says Shop Poppin' Policies and just surf through because I need you to pop out in some Poppin' Policies merch. You feel me? We on the same page? Cool. So I look forward to your support and I thank you once again in advance for all of the love and encouragement and just support that you all have been pouring into me. And so with that being said, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. See you next time on Poppin' Policies with R. Jordan Davis.